The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. I'm very sad to inform you that we have had five additional deaths today, bringing Alberta's total to eight. Two of the deaths occurred in long-term care facilities or uh, seniors housing. A female in her 70s at Calgary's Mackenzie Town facility and a male in his 80s at Edmonton's Rosedale facility. The remaining three deaths include a female in her 50s in the Calgary zone, a male in his 80s in the Edmonton zone, and a male in his 30s in the North zone. I would like to extend my deepest sympathies to the families and loved ones of these individuals. This news is heartbreaking for all of us. Although these individuals had risk factors like older age or chronic medical conditions, their lives mattered as much as any of ours. This has been one of the hardest days yet. Imagining the grief that these families are facing and my heart goes out to them. These deaths speak to the seriousness of the COVID-19 pandemic and why aggressive measures from all of us are needed to contain the spread. In the last 24 hours, we have confirmed 29 cases of COVID-19. While the number of confirmed cases in the last few days has been less than what we've seen previously, this is due to several factors. We have stopped testing returning travelers, so we knew that our daily positive numbers would go down. We have also had a decrease in the total daily tests in the lab over the past few days, given some challenges with lab testing supplies. It will take us several days more of this new testing protocol to get enough data to understand our trends. I expect by the end of this week, we will have a better sense of what this data means to our risk in Alberta. We suspect that up to 65 of our total cases to date may be the result of community transmission. Let me remind you that this number refers to those new cases that do not have a clear link to a previously known case. This is a concerning number. We have also had an increase in cases from the Mackenzie Town outbreak in Calgary. At present, there are 36 residents and five staff who are probable or confirmed cases. I note that these additional cases are included in the new case counts over the past two days, as it has taken time for the links to be made in our administrative databases. We have also identified two additional cases in Shepherd's Care Kensington in Edmonton, with a total of six confirmed cases in this facility. These are worrying numbers. We must redouble our efforts to protect those who are most vulnerable to the effects of this virus. I ask all those who work or live in these or other seniors facilities to follow all guidelines and take care of yourself and others in this difficult time. Please remember, following the public health guidance will save lives. Those of you on home isolation, thank you for doing your part. Those of you who chose to stay home and away from others because of an illness, whether mild or severe, thank you for doing the right thing. Those of you who go to work in critical jobs, like taking care of vulnerable people in long-term care, thank you for doing so safely. We are all in this together. On the topic of how we can all do our part, Yesterday, I had the opportunity to connect with my counterparts across Canada as part of our Special Advisory Committee on COVID-19 Response. 
During this call, we had significant discussion about the rules under the Federal Quarantine Act that require any Canadian under mandatory self-isolation to remain on their property for the duration of the self-isolation time. While some provinces, such as Alberta, had previously allowed those who were in self-isolation and who were also well to leave their property for short walks, the discussion with my colleagues was about weighing out the risks and benefits of this exception. At the end of the discussion, we came to a consensus that because there is a risk of people getting ill while they are out, we will have a uniform recommendation across the country. If you were quarantined because you recently came back from outside the country, or if you were a close contact of a confirmed case of COVID-19, you must remain on your own property, rented or owned. You were only permitted to go outdoors on your deck, in your yard, or on a balcony. Under no circumstances should you leave your property during the 14 days of self-isolation. This means that if you are under mandatory self-isolation, you can no longer go for walks in your neighborhood, at the park, or at the park until your self-isolation period ends. Do not have visitors over. Do not go to public areas and spaces or community settings. Arrange to have someone pick up essentials like groceries or medication for you. People who live in apartment buildings or high rises must stay inside their unit and cannot use the elevators or stairwells to go outside. This applies to everyone under mandatory self-isolation, including both people who are feeling well and those who have symptoms of COVID-19, including cough, fever, runny nose, sore throat, or shortness of breath. I know this is incredibly difficult. Staying indoors or close to home for 14 days is a very long time, but this is what we must do to protect each other. This also means that we need to look out for our neighbors who are in a time of self-isolation. We need to help each other with groceries and other essentials so that those who are on self-isolation can follow the rules. Staying inside can save lives. In addition to staying home when sick or in quarantine, physical distancing is also important. This means staying two meters or about a hockey stick length apart at all times. Having said that, I know that there are some situations where this may not be possible, such as carpooling. If you were not under mandatory self-isolation, you will not be fined for traveling in your vehicle with your family or carpooling with coworkers. However, if you are feeling unwell, you must stay home. This is also not the time for people to go out to their summer cottages or seasonal villages to self-isolate. Services and supports are limited in these communities. Please stay in your own home and away from others if you are feeling unwell. Each of us must continue to do everything we can to flatten the curve and keep our friends and family healthy. While Albertans must practice physical distancing, it is important to remain socially connected. Text or call an old friend you haven't spoken to in a while. Video chat with a family member or loved one. We will need to find new ways to connect with each other while being physically separated. It is through helping and looking out for one another that we will overcome COVID-19. I call on all Albertans to treat each other with kindness, acceptance, and respect. Look out for each other. We are all in this together. Thank you, and I'll be happy to take questions.
Dr. Hinshaw, if you could, uh, what's the total number of confirmed cases again? And could you please just run through uh, the five, uh, five fatalities again with details on where and ages? Thank you. For sure. So the total number Oh, I didn't say the total number. Um, I should have that. 691, I believe. Thank you. 691 is the total number. Uh, and then with respect to the five deaths that we've had, and again, please, I want to convey my deepest sympathies to the families because this each death is a tragedy, and to have five in one day is heartbreaking. Um, so there was a female in her 70s in Calgary, uh, as well as a female in her 50s in Calgary. In Edmonton, there were two males in their 80s and a male in his 30s in the North Zone. And uh, how many, any new recovered cases or? Uh, there are, but that didn't make it into my speaking notes. We're at 90? 94. 94. Excellent. Operator, we'll go to the phone and then we'll come back to the room. Operator, could you pass through yes. the next question? Certainly. The first question is from Kevin Nimick of CTV. Please go ahead. Hi there. I do have a question for Dr. Joffe. Uh, doctor, I'm wondering about uh, long-term care facility workers. As I understand it, many of them work at several different locations. Is that still happening or has that sort of workflow been suspended? Thank you for the question. Let me begin by saying that this is a difficult day for all of us who work in healthcare. As we've heard, there have been several deaths related to COVID-19, and I too would like to express my sympathies and those of all of us who work with Alberta Health Services to the families, friends, and loved ones of those who have passed away. So thank you again for that question. Uh, we have had uh, intensive discussions about exactly that issue over the last several days. So the issue is of uh, individuals who might work in multiple care homes. And uh, we have had to consider what the options may be and uh, whether restricting individuals to working in just one facility is feasible. Uh, because if we do that, we might impact the care that individuals in in other facilities might receive. So as of today, uh, we have looked intensively again at this question and the decision currently is that we cannot restrict individuals from working in multiple settings. However, if anyone has any symptoms whatsoever, we expect them to stay home and self-isolate. There will be screening of staff as they enter facilities to ensure that they are presenting to work healthy and ready to work. Again, this discussion that we had today uh, will continue and we will be reviewing this on an ongoing basis. Excellent. Operator, could you pass through the next question? Yes, the next question is from Emma Greeny of the Globe and Mail. Please go ahead. Yeah, good day, guys. Um, five deaths in 24 hours. I'm curious as to how much of a surprise that comes to you both, given the trends that we've seen in Alberta so far and where these cases are in terms of our care home. So certainly we have always known uh, with rise in cases that we will have more severe cases just as a percentage and with that come uh, deaths. 
while it's not surprising that, that these would happen, again, each of these individuals um, had a life that mattered and people who loved them. And, and so I think that's the, the hard part is, is having so many all in one day. We know also with the number of cases that we've seen in uh, these, we've had a couple of, of outbreaks in seniors facilities, uh, that these are very vulnerable people who live in these facilities. And uh, so we are you know, watching closely to see what happens there. And um, my colleagues, the medical officers of health and the public health teams and the teams at the, those facilities on the front lines are working very hard to control the outbreak. So I think, again, um, it, it's a very somber um, reminder, not that we needed a reminder. Again, I think it's been really clear that every, every case is a case that we'd like to avoid, uh, but it just underlines the importance of the actions that all of us need to take to prevent further spread. Excellent. And uh, my apologies, I provided Dr. Nshaw with incorrect information. There have been 690 cases to date, 690. Operator, could you patch through the next question, please? The next question is from Kieran Levitt of the Toronto Star. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I just wanted to get your comments about um, something that we saw in the news today. Vice reported about a couple who decided that it would be a good idea to go up north into a small community, um, reportedly to get away from the pandemic. Um, I think it, you know, maybe it goes without saying, but I'm just wondering, being that Edmonton in particular is so close to the north, is, is there, can you just kind of give a rundown of why that may not be a good idea and what kind of the, the challenges are up north, just in case people who are thinking of maybe doing something similar can kind of have that context? Sure. So I think if people are thinking about um, leaving wherever it is that they usually live, going somewhere else to either for, you know, for say a, a two-week period if they need to be on self-isolation or if they're thinking they would maybe move somewhere else temporarily to, to get away from say an urban centre. Uh, I think one of the challenges is realizing that wherever it is, if, if someone's leaving from a larger centre to go to a smaller one, there are often less services available in smaller centres, whether that's healthcare services uh, or other services. And so the more people that uh, do go into those smaller centres, the more likely those centres are to be overwhelmed with the infrastructure they have to support just those who are typically resident in that area. I think the other thing to consider, I know that my colleagues in Northwest Territories, Nunavut and, and Yukon are very concerned about having people coming from places like Alberta, BC, Ontario, where we know we're having local transmission that they're concerned about having cases imported into northern and more remote areas where, again, the healthcare services uh, are somewhat limited and just not robust. It makes it much more difficult to get access, especially if somebody does need intensive care. And then there's also that chance if leaving from a place, again, while uh, we're working on determining the exact extent of the spread, we do know that we do have some local transmission here in Edmonton. Uh, so if they're leaving from a place like Edmonton or Calgary and going somewhere up north, the risk that they might in inadvertently uh, be incubating that virus and take it with them and infect a small community where the, the consequences would be catastrophic. So really, again, my message is that in this time, the best thing we can do is stay close to home.
And I know that there's several holidays coming up for uh, different um, faith traditions and typically those holidays are accompanied by large family gatherings uh, and and sharing that celebration together and i would ask people to consider uh, and not even beyond that i would ask people to plan to celebrate those holidays remotely with family and not physically together this is a time to stay close to home we'll go back to the room julia Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, your federal counterpart has said that this week will be critical in the fight against the pandemic. I'm just curious what you will be watching for this week and how today's deaths will affect that. Thank you. So uh, this week, I think one of the critical things we're watching is our numbers. With the switch in our testing strategy, we're really focused on understanding where in our communities are we seeing uh, local transmission and how we can put a stop to that. I'll also be watching the um, vulnerable populations, so long-term care facilities in particular. We've put a number of new measures in place over the last week, and I'll be talking with uh, seniors home operators and with my colleagues on the front lines in public health mm -hmm. to make sure that it's really clear what expectations we have for how we're going to be protecting those individuals living in those facilities. So I'll be watching to see how those measures are implemented. Um, I think those are really the two critical pieces and ultimately how, how these deaths impact what we're watching for. Again, I think it really is just um, a reminder that, that every person who's infected with this virus, every person who's exposed to it, whatever the course of the illness that they have, uh, this is impacting so many lives. And I, I think, you know, personally, I would say that, that it's a reminder of um, how big a time we're all living through together, how extraordinary this time is. And I know that the measures we're taking are very hard for many people. Uh, and the impact of this virus is very hard on many people. And it's just a reminder of that, that human story within this global crisis, that, that there's so many human stories within that, stories both of hope and of challenge. And so I think today is, is certainly a day we're thinking of those challenges, but also over the coming week, needing to look for those stories of hope as well. Excellent. We'll go to the phone and come back for final questions in the room. Operator, could you patch to the next question, please? Thank you. Yes, Michael King, Global News. Please go ahead. Michael, if you're muted, could you, could you unmute your phone, please? Uh, thanks. I'm here now. Uh, some concerned families of parents at the Mackenzie Town Continuing Care Center are increasingly worried about that outbreak. Um, some feel that provincial authorities should step in uh, for more staff and resources to get everyone tested and get the real scope of the outbreak where. What's your response to these family members? Do you feel that adequate steps are being taken to contain the outbreak? And do you feel it's necessary to step in to provide extra resources? So I've been in regular communication with my colleagues, the medical officers of health in the zone who are working on the front lines to support uh, facilities like Mackenzie Town to respond to outbreaks. And so I would really trust their judgment. These are professionals who are uh, skilled in public health and epidemiology and the prevention of infection um, and the measures that they're working with the facility to implement. So if, if in their judgment they're believing more 
resources are needed, I you know, would be very happy to talk to them and, and hear what kinds of additional supports are required. But um, again, I, I have great faith in my colleagues at the front lines and their ability to provide support. It's a, it's a difficult, tremendously difficult situation. And so many people uh, are affected, both those who live in, work in, or have family members or loved ones in that facility. And so I would just say that uh, it's my intention that, that certainly everything be done to prevent any further spread. Uh, and again, I'm really uh, confident in my colleagues at the front lines and, and their supports that they're providing to that facility. Operator, could you pass to the next question, please? Yes, Jennifer Lee, CBC News, please go ahead. Hi, Dr. Henshaw. Um, I'm wondering, um, last week you mentioned that these confirmed cases were really just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's out there. And I wonder, you know, we've had five more deaths in, in one day. Can you give us a sense of how much more widespread you think this is than, than the numbers are actually showing in terms of, of what the projections are out there for case numbers. Could, could you speak to that a little bit? Sure. So um, we are working, I know we've spoken before about uh, modeling data, knowing that some other provinces have released their modeling data. Uh, and so we are hoping to be able to make that available publicly by the end of this week. Uh, what our modelers have been um, telling me uh, is that, well, I, I suppose from a, a very basic um, premise that of the, the cases that we are finding that we don't know what the link is. So again, we have, I believe as of today, there are 65 of those cases. Um, so each of those 65, there's at least one other in the community where they would have acquired it from. Uh, and again, it's it, the estimation from our modelers is that we, we probably have an average of about uh, two cases per those ones that we're finding without without the EpiLink. Uh, so that would, you know, by definition, bring us up about an extra 120 more uh, kind of under the water, so to speak. But again, that's an estimate. We don't know for sure. Uh, and what we do know is that every single person uh, can make a difference. And again, that goes back to what we talked about. We, we will never be able to test every Albertan who has symptoms of a, a cold, runny nose, sore throat. Uh, we will not be able to test the entire population. So really, independent of the total numbers that we have, we need everyone to pitch in and do the right thing, stay home if you're sick, and uh, make sure that you support others to do the right thing as well. Excellent. Operator, could you patch through one more question from the phone? Rick Dolphin, the Western Standard. Please go ahead. Uh, yeah, good afternoon. Um, I'm wondering, uh, I'm presuming that postmortems are being done on the people who have died, and I'm wondering what we are learning about uh, this disease and how specifically it, uh, it kills people. So I will have to take that question away and get back to you because typically with respect to uh, when a post-mortem uh, exam is done, uh, it's required if there's no known cause of death. Uh, in cases where someone's known to be infected with COVID-19, especially where they're um, 
in hospital where they're being treated and it's really clear what symptoms they're having, uh, then a post-mortem or an autopsy would not be required on those individuals. So I would have to take that away and, and find out if we have actually been doing uh, post-mortems on some of these cases. Uh, but what we do know from just watching people's clinical progression through their illness is that typically people have significant difficulty breathing, so acute respiratory distress, uh, where their lungs, there's inflammation and their lungs can't exchange oxygen very well anymore. And despite the efforts to support them with uh, methods like ventilator use, uh, they they simply cannot uh, survive. And again, it's it's a mechanism where the, the lungs really just don't function well anymore. Um, but we can take the question away about autopsies and get back to you. Excellent. We're going to come back to the room. Reminders, one question each. Um, back to you. Uh, Dr. Henshaw, I'm just curious, the 94 people who have recovered so far, when you say recovered, does that mean they're no longer showing symptoms or they've been tested and they're no longer testing positive at all? So when this um, uh, epidemic first started, when we had our first few cases, we were following a protocol of testing to confirm uh, that people no longer had the virus uh, in their system. Uh, but we've shifted away from that, partly because we do have a limited number of lab tests. And what we know from studies that have been done in other places is that even if people, if you can detect virus in, say, a nose swab, that doesn't mean that that virus is actually alive, so to speak, or capable of infecting another person. So we're currently using a protocol where if somebody, uh, especially those who have mild symptoms, if it's 10 days from the start of their symptoms and they don't have any symptoms anymore, so they've recovered and 10 days have passed, but they're no longer considered to be infectious and they're considered to have recovered. So that's how we're getting those numbers. Excellent. Final question to Dylan. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, I was just wondering, I know that obviously it's an ongoing situation, but have you had any chance to look at the last two, three weeks, however long we've been in this now, and see if there's any lessons learned from how we've approached different restrictions and techniques? I was just wondering if you had a, a chance of doing that yet. So that's a good question, um, and I think certainly I I uh, do my best to reflect on lessons learned and especially looking at other jurisdictions and having the chance to talk with colleagues across the country gives that opportunity for reflection. Uh, I think that it um, is still a little early to be able to kind of look back and, and determine those lessons learned. I think that what's consistent and what I hear from my colleagues across the country is the sense that acting early, so taking steps that are necessary to prevent spread uh, when there's a first indication that something has shifted is important and I think that we've done that uh, and also that question of how do we balance all of the needs of people in the society so preventing the spread but at the same time recognizing we do need to have supply chains to get groceries to people you know we have to keep some of those essential services running and so I think ultimately I would say that that we have across the country been able to learn from each other and to be able to see that um, when one jurisdiction is considering something if they're a little bit ahead on the curve uh, we can learn from that uh, I think the final thing I would say is that our ability of our local labs to expand testing and our ability of our local public health teams to expand contact tracing ability I think is something that is an incredible 
cornerstone of our response. Uh, and so again, we kind of celebrate all the work that's gone into that, as I think that will prove to be one of the most important things that we've done all along, is making sure that we had as much capacity as possible in those areas. Thank you all for coming. Uh, Dr. Inshaw will provide another update in person tomorrow afternoon. Calling it a very sad day, Dr. Dina Hinshaw announcing the death of five more Albertans, a female in her 70s in Calgary, a, another woman, a woman in her 50s in Calgary as well, two men in their 80s in Edmonton, and a male in his 30s in the North Zone. We have 690 cases in the province of Alberta right now.